This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make it work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Tomorrow is primary day in Connecticut, but please restrain your enthusiasm. August primaries never exactly have big turnouts, but this year with presidential nominations wrapped up, no other big races in the state, and that pesky global pandemic, you can be excused for not even remembering that it is primary day. But this year's primary is actually a lot more interesting than it's ever been because it's a test run for a new expanded absentee ballot system in the state meant to keep people safe from COVID-19. Letters went out weeks ago from the Secretary of State's office asking registered voters if they wanted an absentee ballot for the primary. They got hundreds of thousands of requests back. But some of those requests came back as undeliverable. Some were returned to the sender because of issues with printing. And then when it came time to get the ballots, reports from town clerks came back that tens of thousands of requested ballots weren't actually sent. All of these complications are compounded by a few things. There's Connecticut's notorious home rule, which makes sure that every town is going to handle things just a little bit differently. And also our history of being very restrictive with mail-in voting, which hasn't exactly gotten us used to this way of doing things. Neither of these things are new, but what is new is the turmoil at the U.S. Postal Service, which is currently in crisis mode because of changes being forced upon it by the Trump administration. And the fact that during the run-up to the primary, we had a tropical storm knockout power to nearly a million customers. So how did this new temporary mail-in ballot system work? What can it tell us about the big election coming up in November? Lawmakers have approved a no-excuse mail-in voting system for the general election, but not beyond. Will this be the moment where Connecticut actually breaks one of its most confounding steady habits? I talked with the state's top election official, Secretary of the State Denise Merrill, last week to find out. She's been pushing for reforms for years, and I asked her what we can expect to learn from this unprecedented primary. Plus, you get to listen in as we open up a ballot live for you. Denise Merrill, good Mm -hmm. to talk to you once again. Thanks for joining me here on Steady Habits. Oh, my pleasure, John, as always. So let's start with the rules for this primary coming up tomorrow. Maybe you can explain the variety of ways that people can actually vote. Uh, Well, we've made a big effort to make sure that both the ways that you can always vote, but now more so, uh, are both safe. Uh, As I keep saying over and over again, our primary goal was to make sure no one had to choose between their health and their right to vote. And so I think uh, that part of it has worked extraordinarily well. I mean, beyond my wildest imagination in terms of how many people have requested absentee ballots, because we have a new rule that says uh, under the governor's executive order for the primary, if you uh, are not actually sick, which is the phrase in our state constitution, which we can get into later, uh, you can still get an absentee ballot and qualify for an absentee ballot due to COVID. If you, are, for example, have an underlying condition that makes you more vulnerable, if you're over the age of 65, which is the group that the governor is quite concerned about, uh, or any any reason at all that you fear going to the polls, uh, you can get an absentee ballot. And that process has finished by now. Uh, almost 300,000 people asked for absentee ballots Uh, We did mail out the applications, which made it very, very easy to ask for an absentee ballot. I will be fascinated to see how many people actually 
vote by absentee ballot because, of course, we don't actually count those ballots until Election Day. Now, of course, if you are still in another category of people who want to go to the polls, uh, we have made every effort to make them safe. We've followed all the CDC guidelines. We've distributed hundreds of thousands of dollars of PPE and uh, have, have extra uh, help at the polling places so people stand six feet apart. All those things will be available at the polls. We will not require, but certainly request that everyone wear a mask. We have all that equipment for our poll workers. So um, honestly, we tried to get ready for either option. And we really didn't know at the outset what people were gonna choose to do. So, so we're not requiring people to wear masks? Well, we're trying to require people to wear masks. Let's put it that way. At this point, the governor has still not required uh, masks, although I do see that uh, more and more we're inching toward that. And if that is the case, uh, then we will be able to require it. But it will certainly be heavily requested. Let's put it that way. Okay. And heavily requested means what exactly? No, is no, no one's going to be turned away at the polls if they say, I'm not wearing a mask in there. Well, that's the problem. I mean, your right to vote is pretty sacred, and we cannot uh, refuse to give someone who is 18 and a citizen their right to vote. So, um, but obviously, if you're impacting somebody else's health, uh, we will require or request uh, very strongly that you wear a mask into the polling place. Have there been any changes to the people who are going to be manning the polls? Because I think it's fair to say that the folks who mostly work at polling places around Connecticut are elderly, and those are the people most at risk. Right. Uh, well, we've tried to plan for that. Uh, every town in the state was required to file a safe polls plan with us, and we have a federal grant where we can uh, send money to hire different poll workers. Uh, we also have a volunteer program. We've worked with the governor's office and others to have, we have about 250 people who have signed up to work at the polls should we need them on election day. So, uh, so far, most of the towns did not request help. Uh, and I think if I've learned anything from this whole thing, it is that planning, planning, planning. You can't say things often enough. And the election officials, this is a whole new process for everyone. And I have been just, you know, I thought we were communicating over and over again. Don't forget, maybe your poll workers will, will not want to show up because there are a lot of elderly poll workers. But very few towns requested extra poll workers or uh, dollars to provide more poll workers. So I'm a little uneasy about that, uh, but we do have some waiting in the wings, and I'm hoping we can recruit a new generation of poll workers because I think we've known for a long time that this was coming. So let's get back to the, the mail-in ballots, these absentee ballots. I actually have in front of me here, I have access to an absentee ballot. So I just, I'm just i going to show you something, Denise Merrill, that, that probably you don't want to see. I'm about to open it up right in front of you here. I got this in the mail. Uh-oh, oh, should I even be doing this? I know, it's pretty nerve-wracking, uh, nerve isn't it? Yeah, am I breaking yeah. the law? These are all these nitpicky little details that a lot of other states don't have. Uh, things that are widely accepted in Oregon, like sitting around the dining room table and discussing your ballot, are illegal in Connecticut. It's it's just crazy. <laughs> so I don't know. It's yes. pretty it's pretty simple. Nomination nomination for president, of course, it doesn't you know really necessarily matter at this point because it's it's fairly well taken care of. And yep. in 
in my town, there's nothing on the back. I assume that this is going to look different in every town, just like any ballot would, right? There, there could be something on the ballot other than just a Democratic or a Republican nominee for, for president. Oh, yes. We have 40 different ballots this year, which has been one of the things that caused us quite a bit of agita when it came to <laughs> making sure the right towns got the right ballots. So I think we're there. <laughs> but that's correct. Uh, you could have a primary for state representative or board of education or, uh, you know, uh, probate judges. There's quite a few probate judge races. That's right. So every town and every district might be different. So, so it, it seems pretty easy. It says study the instructions on the reverse side before completing your ballot. It will help you in voting. There's probably some ballots that actually have stuff on both sides that you have to take a look at. Right. Interesting. So not too, not too bad. And then you sent out a little, a little sticker. It says, I voted by mail. Be a voter, Connecticut. What's this all about? Don't you, don't you love that? I think those are great. Uh, you know, you know how usually if you go to the polls, you get a little sticker saying, I voted today. Well, this is kind of the same thing for absentee ballots. <laughs> So, so one of the things that, that we read when you sent out the request for absentee ballots, it was essentially saying to, to people, would you like an absentee ballot? Is that the first time we've ever done that in the state? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mailed out what we call the application for an absentee ballot, mostly because there is this new way you can get one. And it set, so you had to fill it out and give the reason because we are a state that requires you to have a reason to get an absentee ballot. By the way, there's only about five states like that left. Um, and so we did add the COVID-19 reason. I, I'm scared of getting COVID or whatever. It's something like that. And so you checked that, you uh, filled in your name, address, and said, yes, I'm a voter, signed it on the bottom. That went to your town clerk. The town clerk uh, sends that electronically to our mail house, sent it, and then the mail house mailed out the ballot. Okay. And then now you're getting that ballot probably from the mail house unless you mailed it in at the very last second last week, and then the local clerk would have mailed it to you. But most, at 90% of them were mailed by the mail house. First time we've ever done any of that. So, so there was a deadline on that application when you had to get it back by in order to get this in the mail. If you missed that earlier deadline, could you still get an absentee ballot? Like we're, we're talking for a program in advance, but we're talking for a program that's happening the day before the primary day. Could I still get an absentee ballot the day before the primary day? Uh, you can if you get it locally from your town clerk. You would have to, of course somehow go down. A lot of town halls are still, you know, open variously. So you'd have to get it somehow if by appointment or whatever from the town clerk, and you'd have to give it right back to them. And I can mail this in basically anytime, right? Yes. Yes. Although in Connecticut, we are not what they call a postmark state. We are a received by election day state. So if your ballot is not received by election day, it will not be counted. And we have yet to have any kind of uh, technology that allows us to track ballots, which is one of the things I very much think we ought to have. So, so, yes, so if, to be and, sure, yeah. put it in the ballot box that's in front of your town hall. Okay, so so that that's my next question. So there's a ballot yeah. box in front of town hall. Is it the same location in every town? No. Uh, the towns were able to decide where they thought it was most appropriate. Some of them, most of them, I think, were in front of town hall right next to the other box that clerks used for other documents. But not all, not all. In, in theory, if I didn't really know what to do with this, I would have to call a town hall, which might not actually have people working in it, in order to find out 
where I might put this if I indeed want to put this in a in a in a box? Ballot, but I, you know, I would say probably ninety percent of them are in front of town hall. They're supposed to be somewhere prominent. Uh, some of them have more than one. Uh, the larger mm -hmm. towns have three and four placed around town. Some in front of the police station. There's been all this talk about oh, are people going to vandalize these boxes? I think that's highly unlikely, but I would never say never. Uh, so some of them have security cameras on them and so forth. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's up to the town. Do you think it's well understood by people that it is not a postmark state, meaning that you put it in the mail, like a whole lot of things, if, if it's there by the postmark, then you can say, well, you know, I don't know, whatever, electric company, I've paid my bill. Right. But in this case, you don't know how long the mail is going to take, and we'll get to the U.S. Postal Service in just a second. But I don't know how long the mail yeah. is going to take, and so <laughs> what the heck? I mean, I, I I might mail in this ballot a couple of days in advance, and it might not get there. That's correct, and we have done everything we can to inform people of this. Uh, but like many things about all this, it's all new. We're used to having about four percent of five percent of people vote by absentee, and usually because they're out of town. So that's one of the many instructions we have to keep bringing home over and over again, don't mail your ballot at the last minute. It may not arrive in time. So one of the things that I read was on the the applications that you sent out, that there was something like 100,000 of these applications that went out that were returned as undeliverable. What exactly happened there? Well, these lists are always a point in time and there's a lot of mobility. People move, uh, people die, uh, pass away, sometimes out of state. And, and the registrars who keep these lists in every town don't get notified always. But there's always going to be uh, some slippage. <laughs> and so uh, what happened with those is, and that's actually a very low rate of uh, undeliverables, uh, you know, about 4%, I think. So what we did is we collected them all at our office. That was the return address. And we then sent them back to the town so they can take these people off the lists. And that's great, actually. It's the first time we've been able to clean up the list in that way. Uh, but of course, for the general election, it'll be a bigger problem because the largest number of voters in Connecticut are unaffiliated. See, this so far is just Republicans and Democrats. Uh, but we're hoping that, you know, we'll probably use the same process for the uh, general election. Talking with the same as of yet unnamed person in my household who got this absentee ballot. <laughs> um, she told me that when she was sending you back the letter saying, yes, I want an absentee ballot. There was actually some weird thing. We had to fold it in a very uh, convoluted way in order to get the mailback address through the little window. I can imagine that some people weren't able to do that right. Did you have any problem with that? Oh, yes. Uh, and that was a big issue. You know, one of the many lessons learned, uh, they were printed a little bit incorrectly. And a lot of people mailed them back to themselves by accident. If you weren't really paying attention, my husband almost did that, actually. Um, if you weren't really paying attention, you ended up mailing it back to yourself. And yes, we did have many reports of that. And that's something we will change for the general. So... Do any of those things give you any sort of pause about running an election that has expanded absentee or mail-in voting? Oh, of course. I mean, we were not prepared in Connecticut for this volume of absentee ballots. There's no doubt about it. Do I still think it was a good idea? Yes, I do. And I still continue to think it's an, a wonderful idea, given the situation we're in where people are told not to go expose themselves in large crowds. Uh, I just don't think we had any choice, and I would do it all over again for sure. Um, 
I'm not a fan of total vote by mail. I, you know, there are many states now going to a total vote by mail. But listen to some of the things we're talking about. You're then reliant on the U.S. Postal Service just for openers. And uh, that's, you know, unfortunately been kind of underfunded, I gather. Um, and in, in Connecticut in particular, we have a problem in Fairfield County where there's no longer a big distribution center. So actually all the mail, even if you're mailing it to someone across the street in Fairfield County, it goes to Westchester County and back again. So it can take up to a week. So these kinds of things make you dependent on a system that I think is not that reliable. There's other issues too. You can hear us talking about it. And we don't have a culture of it in Connecticut. So it means like we're, we're educating the public as we go here. I still think it's a really good idea that we have no fault absentee balloting. I think we ought to go that direction, but I don't want to abandon the polling places. Um, and you know, and the other problem is in Connecticut, we're one of a tiny minority now of states that has no days of early voting. So you have to remember 40 states now have other days besides Tuesday to vote. And that obviously can help you when you're processing all this. You can process, do some of the process in advance. It takes the pressure off election day. So, so what you would go to is something where we had more days to vote, some sort of expanded absentee ballot, but not entirely mail-in voting. That's exactly right. How many how many days in advance? I mean, we've talked about this for years. I mean, has your thinking changed about this at all? I mean, is do we open up a window of a couple of weeks? Do we open up a window of a few days beforehand? What does it look like in your mind? In my mind, it's about three to five days. I wouldn't go longer than that because everything changes. You know, people start wanting their ballot back if they read something in the news about a candidate they voted for. They don't want to vote for them anymore. So you get into lots of complications. But I think five days in particular to me, would give the election officials enough time to process things that we could get the job done much more efficiently. Should election day be a holiday? Well, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to have five days, are they all going to be a holiday? Uh, I'd love to see election day a holiday, but honestly, can the U.S. economy withstand another holiday? Probably not. I think it should replace a different holiday. Uh, Veterans Day, maybe. How about Fourth of July? You know, there's nothing What about magical. Columbus Day? Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, everybody's, yeah. I mean, everybody's proposing that it be what, uh, you know, Indigenous People Day and everything else. Why not be Voting Day? Uh, I think it'd be great. Um, we, we got a, a note that town clerks have some concerns that some 20,000 ballots that were supposed to be sent weren't sent. Can you give us an update on that? What exactly happened? Yeah, uh, this is my uh, admonition on planning ahead. So we told the clerks early on in June, we had a very extensive written plan that always anticipated that at the end, after the mailhouse mailed like 80 or 90% of the ballots, there would be a time where more would come in and they would have to do it at their end because it would just be too time consuming to send it to the mailhouse. Well, they sort of forgot about that. <laughs> and so when the mailhouse finished mailing and they were several days later than we thought they'd be. The volume was just unbelievable. Uh, then all of a sudden, when we told the clerks, well, now it's your turn, you have to do the rest of them, they panicked. And they said, we can't do it, we can't do it. So this goes to the fact that, you know, they were supposed to ask, but we have plenty of resources for them. They can hire extra help. They can get it done. They just have to access those resources and get it done. So I think it was, again, the planning piece 
you know, I'm reminded of that because, you know, last week we had a little hurricane come through, reminding me of my days with Hurricane Sandy. Remember Storm Sandy, which was exactly one week before one of our elections. Uh, you know, we have to be prepared for anything. And this has been really, really hard because we haven't done this volume of absentee ballots before. And so the clerks are right. It is hard. It was hard for the mail house and it was hard for them. But, you know, we'll get it done. And now we have experience with it. So I think it'll go more smoothly for the general. So in the general, what what exactly changes? This is a one time essentially dispensation that has been granted by the legislature that is saying right. we can do expanded absentee balloting because of COVID this time around. Is there anything yes. different than everything that you just explained for the primary? Maybe you can walk us through what voting in November is going to look like. No, it's just, again, there's going to be even more. Uh, depending, we can't really predict human behavior. I'm going to be fascinated to see how many people actually do vote absentee by tomorrow. Uh, you know, a lot of people requested the ballots because it was so, we made it so easy to request the ballots. We had a self stamped self-addressed envelope, as you see in your envelope there, uh, for both the application and the ballot. Uh, so it made it really easy for people to send it back. I don't know how many people will actually exercise the absentee ballot because you could still get an absentee ballot and just never send it in and go to vote at the polls. So that's our challenge is trying to figure out human behavior. What are people actually going to do? Honestly, I think it's wonderful. How many years have you and I talked about, you know, the low turnout, the apathy, people aren't interested. Here we have a primary that's basically a done deal, and yet hundreds of thousands of people seem to want to vote. So there is a very a great side to all this, um, and let's hope it continues in the general election. If it does, uh, we're going to have to double our staffing in every in every town in the state. Again, fortunately, we have some federal funds to help us with that. We're going to have to double our capacity if we're going to mail these ballots out from a central location. We may change that. Maybe we'll have to go back to letting the towns do it. Uh, they they are even upset about doing the 20% they're supposed to do. But we That scares the hell up. out of me, I got to tell you. <laughs> I know, me too. I, I, I think we would be better off if we had, I mean, I would get a few more mail houses to work. I think we'd do some backup planning. You know, we have learned some lessons here, uh, but uh, I think the ballots will look very similar. You know, obviously they're more complicated for a uh, general election. You're going to have many more different ballot styles, uh, but now we've got the programs written for that. So I think we'll be okay. It's again, it's not going to be easy. The thing that I'm most concerned about is how long it's going to take to count them. And our state certainly is not the focus of that because we are not a postmark state, as we were describing. Because once you say that all ballots must be counted if they're postmarked by Election Day, well, you can see what might happen, especially if there's a huge volume of voting by mail. Uh, you could be counting. You could still be getting ballots in for two weeks. Uh, and so then what? Uh, you know, I can see this is going to take a very long time to count, even in Connecticut. Do, do you expect that there will be the same type of, let's say kindly, variance between the towns in terms of how they are able to uh, work within the system? Uh, yes, and that's one reason we did all the mailing for them, or as much as we could. 
uh, because, you know, towns have very different capacities for doing all this. Uh, the cities in particular, it's a real challenge. Uh, New Haven, for example, has a very complicated ward system where you could be voting different ballots in the same polling location, uh, that sort of thing. So it's a very, very complex local system and difficult to manage and difficult to maintain standards that are the same across all towns. Yeah, I, I do worry about that. So a lot of the concern that has been coming, I mean, I'll take aside the Republican Party nationally. Local Republicans have some of the same concerns that this system could be ripe for some sort of fraud or disenfranchisement because of some of the problems that you have laid out. You know, the mail just not working or people using this system to vote incorrectly or illegally. How much real concern do you have about that? Well, you know, it goes back to the fact that the word fraud is used to cover many, many things. And when you say the word fraud, people have different things in their mind. Are you talking about someone who's going to forge another person's ballot and send it in uh, without their permission? Uh, for example, much has been made of the fact that there are dead people sometimes still on the rolls because the, the list hasn't caught up. Uh, well, do you mean that you're going to have people voting for somebody who's dead on purpose? I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, you'd, you'd, you'd have to have a lot of people forging ballots, which is a federal crime, five years in prison. And it says so right on the ballot. So I think that sort of fraud is highly unlikely. Uh, the kind of fraud people talk about in Connecticut is mostly either preying on the frail elderly in nursing homes, particularly in cities where uh, people are, are worried that uh, people kind of talk them into voting for somebody and then take their ballot in for them and that sort of thing. Uh, that's much more uh, a problem, particularly in local elections, because mostly those are, uh, shall we say, overzealous candidates or their campaigns that kind of spill into that sort of thing. But we also do have federal law that has uh, supervised absentee balloting in nursing homes where the registrars go right there. I think we've done everything we can to minimize that. So, uh, you know, truthfully, fraud is not a concern for me. Voter disenfranchisement, yes, that is a concern based on this very complicated system we have that we're trying to turn around very quickly. And do you expect that we will have the same number of polling places open in November that we normally have staffed in the way that we normally have so that Connecticut won't be one of those states that we have people lined up out the door trying to vote. I mean, we've had some instances of that in Connecticut, to be sure, but nowhere near on the on the lines of a Georgia or a Wisconsin. Do you think that we'll have enough poll workers for the actual day in November? Absolutely. Uh, this is one thing that we have not uh, given in on. Uh, there are, of course, towns that were saying, well, if all these people are going to vote uh, absentee, we won't need as many polling places. And they wanted to collapse them. We've been I've taken a very dim view of that for exactly the reason you're talking about. So I would anticipate that we will have mostly the same polling places we've always had at the very least and maybe additional ones in some places. If you don't mind, though, a, a, taking a dim view doesn't mean that you can necessarily change what a town's going to do. And we've seen this in the past, right? Towns don't print up enough actual ballots because they think the, the numbers are going to change. And then we're stuck, you know, holding people in long lines late into the night because that hasn't happened. Is it still going to be up to towns to basically say, 
yeah, we're going to we're going to only open this many polling places because we think, honestly, there's going to be mostly absentee balloting. No, actually, uh, we have changed the law and we also have this federal grant. So if they want to participate in the federal grant, they need to have our permission to change or eliminate polling places. So I think that will take care of that situation. So for this November, the legislature has essentially changed the law because of COVID-19. In order to change the law moving forward so that Connecticut will come into something close to the 21st century and not be one of the handful of states that makes you say, I have a sickness in order to get an absentee ballot, um, what exactly has to happen and by when? We need a constitutional amendment. These restrictions are in our state constitution. We are now the only state left that still has them in our state constitution that hasn't been overridden or changed by a legislature. I've been trying for 10 years now to get that changed, to have the rules in statute, not in the state constitution. Here we are in a very inflexible situation where we need that flexibility, and so it goes. If, by any chance, This September, by September, the legislature could come in and and pass a state constitutional amendment uh, to eliminate those restrictions. It has to pass by 75 percent in both houses. It could be on the November ballot if they did it quickly enough. There's still time. Uh, Barring that, it would have to go back to the legislature If it doesn't get a 75% vote, and that obviously means you need a bipartisan vote on this. Uh, If you don't get that bipartisan vote, uh, it would go to two different legislatures, and we would not be able to change the state constitution until 2026 at the earliest. And 75% of the vote on anything, unlike taking care of puppies, is hard to get right now. So that doesn't... I think Phil, me, or probably a lot of people listening with a whole lot of confidence that we change this anytime soon, other than the piecemeal way in which we've done it for this um, unprecedented time. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I have to say, encouraged by the fact that the legislature did come together. The vote was 144 to two in the House. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I think that a lot of Republicans heard from their constituents. The public wants this. They want this flexibility, particularly now, but I think that's going to carry forward. They're going to continue to want more access uh, to voting, just like the rest of the country, frankly. And so we'll see if the constituents prevail. It may die down after uh, COVID's over. I don't know. Um, I hope so. I hope we can move forward on some of this. Is this the Connecticut study habit that annoys you the most? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. And I have fought this for so many years now. It's all I almost I, I really, truly almost gave up on it. They did pass a constitutional amendment last session that would give us early voting. And I think it was three to five days. Um, but the whole no excuse absentee balloting part was dropped. We just couldn't get agreement on that. I think this has moved us in a different direction. But whether it's enough, I'm not sure. It has been blocked for years by uh, mostly Republicans. Uh, We get a few votes every year, but um, they still remain pretty opposed to all this. Denise Merrill is Secretary of the State of Connecticut. Best of luck on primary day, and we'll see what happens in November. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, good luck to all of us, and 
thank you everyone for voting. I think it's exciting. I mean, you know, I've waited all my life to see this kind of a turnout. So great. That's Secretary of the State Denise Merrill. And remember, you can go vote in person in your town tomorrow for primary day. You can just do it at the polls the old-fashioned way. But if you already have an absentee ballot, you can also use that. But you're going to have to drop it in the box at your town hall because it's far too late to mail it in. Convenient, huh? Thanks for joining us here on Steady Habits. Our program is produced by Jessica Friedman. Thanks to Bruce Potterman, Kyle Constable, Beth Hamilton, and Paul Stern for their help this week. Our Steady Beats are provided by George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson and were recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks for joining us. And go vote tomorrow if you haven't already. If you do go vote, please wear a mask. We're going to take next week off. and We'll talk to you soon.